Welcome back to another episode of the Horror You Know podcast. This is Trent. I'm Darren. And no, no, no Ian Wells. Where is Ian Wells tonight? Does anybody know? He's playing uh, MC Boogaloo down in Louisville. Hold on. I'll tell you guys right now because he he texted us. What did he say? Break into electric Boogaloo. He's at the Mask Up 2K23 Halloween Bash in Louisville. Make sure we plug it, he said. So anyway, if you're uh, somehow at Mask Up right now and you hear us talking about it, let us know how the show was and let us know how our boy Wells was. But uh, if you're listening right now, it's actually Halloween night. So actually, happy Halloween to everyone listening. And with every Halloween, I I feel like I need to mention that we have reached the end of another season. The pinnacle of our second year career. Two years ago, we started this pipe dream on Halloween. We launched our very first episode. Now we just um, smoke crack pipes. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone really bad this last year. It was rough. No, it was all right. Two was interesting. We tried some new things. We'll, we'll talk more about it later. I was just saying that, you know, we've kind of ended each season on Halloween because that's that's like our year, like, anniversary. So after the first year, we, we went to season two, and now it's been two years. So season two is over, and we're going to start season three. Um, In 3D. In 3D. Jaws 3D. Slow motion. So make sure you're wearing your glasses next Bad. week. Yeah. See if we sound better. Dario Falonic. We'll do a retrospective of season two here later, but I feel like first we're going to get into a few topics here. Our main topic, I'll go ahead and let you know, we're going to be talking about the classic film. I would say classic. I don't know if you guys would, but I would say classic. The 2007 Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat. And I'm going to go out and say it. We're going to talk about it more later, but I'm going to go out and say it. It is up there in the pantheon of must-watch Halloween traditions every year. Like, obviously, you've got your Halloween, John Carpenter's. That goes without saying. I think number two right there should be Trick or Treat. And then Frankenweenie. No. <laughs> I would say, yeah, that's that's a good one, too. I would say, though, Trick or Treat should be to Halloween kind of like what, I don't know, a Christmas story or... Christmas vacation would be for Christmas. You guys agree with that? Yeah. Some station on the play it 24-7. Trick or treat, though. We're going to talk about it more later. But first, let's talk about something exciting that happened this past weekend that we've uh, all been very hard at work on. I got my braces off. <laughs> Congrats to you, by the way. You look great. No, I'm talking about the horror at the Ohio Film Festival. If you haven't heard us talk about it ad nauseum. You hear the crowd roar in the background? That was a very, yeah, that was our hearty applause that no one is giving us. We uh, we had our second annual Horror at the Ohio Film Fest last weekend. So, uh, yeah, we, I don't know, I just figured we would kind of recap it a little bit. We don't have to go into like a huge full episode detail like we did with last year's. But it was our second annual event. It went pretty well overall, I think. So we did the film festival like we did last year. We had a lot of great films that were submitted, but we also showed some actual like well-known kind of classic movies. And on night one, we showed the cult classic Army of Darkness, which had a really good crowd and I think went over pretty well. You all agree? You all agree? Yes. Definitely. Night two, 
or day two, I should say, we showed the Adams family because we kind of had a, a part of the day that was more towards like family friendly type stuff. So we showed Adams family during the day. And it didn't do as well. Didn't do as well, but you know, that's okay. At least right. we offered an we option learned. for people. We learned. And then that Saturday night we showed, um, what did we show? We had trivia. That was fun. I feel like people enjoyed that. We showed Wolf Hollow, which was one of our uh, submissions. That was a pretty good hit. And then we ended with our prom, our horror prom. I think the first night went off beautifully. Just like last year's, first night was better than the second night almost. Okay. okay. Last year, the first night was definitely better than the second night. This year, it was kind of equal. I think there were probably more people at the first night. Again, the costume contest brought them in. Yeah. So I think the costume contest worked. I think the prom kind of worked. Um not going to say anything personal, but we needed some better music, I think. Music choices weren't great, but yeah. it is what it is at this point. <laughs> All right, let's give credit where it's due. Ian did dress up he this did. year. He, he dressed looked up as... He looked dapper. He was a uh, Harry Potter. Potter. I was one of the Blues Brothers. You can take your pick. Elwood. Elwood, because, I don't know. Tom Skinny. And you were... I was very confusing to most people, apparently. I was Hunter S. Thompson from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Johnny Depp style. A couple people got and it. And next I think. year, we're going to go as David S. Pumpkins. Part of it. <laughs> and then Wells, he was our mascot. He was the usher again. He did a great job, as usual. Yes. Creepy as, and, creepy as usual. Like he came down and offered me a mint in the bathroom. I was like, get the fuck away from my dick. <laughs> get away from my dick, man. It's weird he wasn't there and all of a sudden you look over and he's just got a mint right in your face. Tic-tac. And we had a lot of good costumes. Mothman was there. He was our prom king. Yes. There were some really good costumes. We had uh, Dwight Schrute. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll move on. I just wanted to kind of just give just give us a shout out, let people know that Horror at the Ohio was a success for year two. And if you were there and your decorations listening, were awesome, you. thank you for coming. Thanks, if you guys. weren't Thanks. there, check us out. Decorations Look next were year. awesome. Definitely come next year. So anyway, Horror at the Ohio, check us out for year three. We will be back in three D. In three D. So. Everything's in 3D this year, baby. But anyway, we're going to move forward. And since it's Halloween, I thought maybe we could all tell some true crime Halloween stories. We've kind of done a lot of true crime here in season two to varying degrees of success, I think. But uh, I thought maybe since it's Halloween night, we could all kind of go around and and tell a, a true crime story that actually happened either on or around Halloween time. Some cautionary tales, if you will. Some of them, I think, could be uh, some good tales to kind of listen to close and take into consideration as you go out trick-or-treating tonight. So, Starting us off. Can we start us off? I'll start us off. This one is called The Real-Life Candyman. Here we go. These are real true crime stories, too, so I need to to bring it down a little bit. All right. 1974. Eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien's father murdered him in Houston on October 31st, 1974, by poisoning his candy. While they were trick-or-treating, Ronald O'Brien, the dad, gave Timothy, his five-year-old sister, and a neighbor's son pixie sticks. You guys know what pixie sticks are, right? Loved them. I love the big giant ones, too. Remember the giant pixie sticks in the plastic? For anyone who doesn't know what a pixie stick is. It's like kid cocaine. Yeah, they come in the little paper straws, and it's basically just sugar, and you just kind of snort it. No, you don't snort it, but... Anyway, go on. 
Ronald O'Brien gave his son, his five-year-old sister, and a neighbor's son some pixie sticks, paper straws containing tangy-flavored sugar that he had doctored, filling the top two inches with cyanide. I know no one listening can see the two inches I'm making with my hand. But that's like, I mean, how big is a pixie stick? I feel like two inches is a good... It's probably half the stick. Half of a pixie stick, probably. He filled the top two inches of the pixie sticks with cyanide. Before going to bed that night, Timothy, the child, was allowed to eat one of the candies in his goodie bag, and he selected the pixie sticks. Didn't the dad, though, like, kind of recommend it? I read in the other story that he recommended it. He, like, talked him into eating. Probably. I'm sure he did. That's awful. His father watched while he poured the poison in his mouth, even giving him Kool-Aid to wash out the, its bitter taste. Here, boy, wash it down with this. With more cyanide. More cyanide? I don't know. Probably. The motive? Life insurance policies he'd purchased for each of his children. But the other two kids were neighbor kids, though, right? They weren't one was actually this, his kids. One was a neighbor. One was his sister. But anyway, Timothy was the only one who ate the poison candy, I guess. I don't know why the other two didn't. Maybe they saw him getting sick. I don't know. And in fact, he's the only child known to have been harmed by poison candy in spite of annual rumors and panic. So that's kind of what I was saying, like cautionary tales. I feel like every year you see those posts like, check your kid's candy. There's like, someone put razor blades in them. And they used like, to do x-rays. At like, I feel like hospitals that was kind when of I was little. They would x-ray your candy because people thought needles and razor blades would be in them. Well, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the sick bastard is the reason legend. for that. Ronald O'Brien. So you have him to think for why your parents always have well, to Well, it was right candy. around the time, too, that uh, Tylenol murders happened. I will wrap up the uh, story by saying um, poor Timothy did pass away, unfortunately. He was the only one who ate the pixie stick, so the other two survived. But happy ending, depending on how you want to look at it, Ronald was executed in 1984. Happy, I guess. He doesn't need to be walking the earth, is what you're saying. Yeah, he got what he got what he deserved. It took a little while. But. Good old, good old, fuck that guy for this. One. Fuck that, that guy. guy. There's probably gonna be a lot of those with these stories. All right, you got a story means? I do. Um, this one ties into a story we've already done on the show. Do tell. So, on Halloween night, 1982, Marvin Branlin from Dodge, Iowa, and his wife were handing out candy in their Fort Dodge. Iowa home and a man in a mask came to the door and said, trick or treat, give me your money or I'll shoot. That's how he came That's to the door. One. While he was tri- while they were handing out candy. He had, he had a mask on and thinking it was an elaborate prank. The couple tried to unmask him. So they thought it was funny and tried to grab his mask, but the man pushed him in- uh, inside really quick and pulled out a gun demanding money. They kept in a basement safe. Marvin tried to grab the gun then. So not only he thought it was a prank, but when he thought it was serious, he tried to grab the gun like a moron. Uh, the man shot him in the throat and ran off. Real good fake gun, Dave. Give it here. <laughs> That's a fuck around and find out. Somehow <laughs> How'd the mask- you make me bleed this blood? Oh, good corn syrup. Somehow the mask was left behind. Since no one knew about the safe, it was assumed someone in the family was behind the robbery. But even with the DNA, the mask, and family member bragging that he did it, no one ever was arrested. Now, that's like, that's kind of the funny thing about like Halloween. I'm surprised you don't hear more stories about that because I feel like anyone could just walk out with yeah. a mask it's and a weapon. It's the easiest day in the, in the, you think you'd hear about United it all the States time. to create havoc. Yeah, you're never too old to trick or treat, right? Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. I got another one, the one I was going to read, but somehow my, 
My phone scrolled up and I read the wrong story. <laughs> yeah, we've got a few here. Go for it. <laughs> About halfway through, I was like, this ain't the story I was supposed to read. That's a decent story, though. Cautionary tale. Okay, in the early morning hours of Halloween 1981, Ronald Sisman and Elizabeth Platzman were murdered in their Chelsea apartment. The apartment was ransacked and the couple was severely beaten before they were shot execution style from behind. Police began looking for a motive, but before they got far, a prison informant told authorities that another inmate predicted the crime two weeks before it happened. The prisoner, you ask? The infamous son of Sam killer, Sam Berkowitz. Dun, dun, dun. David Sam Berkowitz. Now. Summer of Sam. How how did he know that they were going to get killed? And what is the connection? So it's rumored that Berkowitz was involved in a satanic cult. And according to the informant, Berkowitz had said his cult was planning on entering this home in that neighborhood for a ritual killing. When questioned, Berkowitz claimed Sisman had footage of Son of Sam shooting and no video was ever found and the crime is still unsolved. But it actually is a part of a book where they think, because when we talked about Son of Sam, we talked about how it might not have been just Son of Sam committing these crimes and they were either pinning some of them on him or, you know, he was trying to take credit for them. So it's interesting, though, that like this has a connection to that. And it was like part of a book that was later released by Ron Furman. I just now remember that Ron Furman put that book out, which was the racist cat from uh, the O.J. Simpson murders. OK, well, I got another one. This one is called The Chainsaw Prankster. Here we go. Some people always take their Halloween spirit a bit too far. We all know the houses, the ones where you never know if the guy in a rocking chair is real or a decoration, or if that life-size coffin will have a hand reach out. Frank Alba took this to a whole new level when he decided to dress in a bloody apron with a real chainsaw and hide in the bushes on Halloween 2011. Already sounds like just a great idea. He knew he was in the direct path of kids coming home from trick-or-treating, and sure enough, a group soon walked by. Alba jumped out of the bushes and revved the chainsaw, sending the children screaming. Unfortunately, 12-year-old Leslie Garcia ran into a busy road and was hit by a car. The family sued as the girl sustained permanent injuries and trauma, but the results of the lawsuit are unknown. Frank Alba, you are an idiot. Here's a, a short one, I'll tell. It's awful, but I know you're going to snicker at it because it's ridiculous. But anyway, this is from 2011, so this is a little more recent. Halloween night, 2011. 55-year-old Liddell Peoples, or Little, I'm not sure how you say that. L-E-D-E-L-L. Go with Liddell. Getting the lead out. Liddell Peoples. He got the lead out, all right. Noticed a bag of his Halloween candy was missing. He accused his girlfriend, Maria Adams, of taking it. And the couple began fighting. 55-year-old man. Damn it, bitch. Those smarties were in there a minute ago. I trick-or-treated all night for that, babe. The couple did begin fighting over the missing candy. <laughs> Dishes were thrown. At one point, Peoples had a cut over his eye. As the fight escalated... Peoples grabbed a knife and stabbed Adams multiple times. It says with several different... So he grabbed several knives and stabbed her multiple uh, times. Oh, no. Can you say one. it was like... Ah, uh, that's a paring knife. Ah, 
Butter. Like a, Why does butter have its own knife? This article doesn't say, but he read another one that said it was over 40 times. Like so 40 he times really stabbed. Was awful, though. He you know you've had a bad relationship when it gets to that, though. It's like, it does not start with the You're candy. looking for a reason to break up yeah. at that point. Oh, I hate my life. I hate my girlfriend, but at least I have some nice Twix to look forward to. Anyway, stabbed his girlfriend many, many times. He was actually the one that called the police and notified them of the attack. Adams later died at the hospital and Peoples was arrested. The entire time he contended the fight and subsequent attack were because of his missing bag of candy. Bitch stole my candy. I had no choice. And I don't know if he trick-or-treated. Trick I don't know if he bought the bag. I don't know where this bag of candy came from, but he was very upset that it had gone missing. Stabbed his girlfriend and killed her over it. He uh, was in, He ended up being sentenced to 30 years in prison. So I'm saying these stories are awful, but it's hard not to laugh at kind of the ridiculous, 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 ridiculousness of them. Means you got another one queued up? I got one more queued up. Make sure I'm on the right one, though. We all know that some people take trick part more seriously than the treat part, right? Just like old Butch over there that butchered his bride. Liddell. Uh, Liddell. Got the lead out. Not right Adele. In gut. Usually these pranksters are teenagers and kids, but on Halloween night, 1959. So this is an old schooling. Dentist, Dr. William Shine decided to give out tricks with his treats. The trick, you say, Shine bought candy-coated laxatives and gave them out to roughly 450 children that night. He was a dentist? He was a dentist. I'm going to show these kids that rot their teeth. They'll regret that. Although laxatives usually are not deadly in regular doses, like this, 30 of the children did actually eat the candy and got violently ill Vomited and diarrheated all over themselves. Is that a word? They shat themselves. Pretty sure diarrhea is a verb. Yes, you can diarrhea uh, over yourself. Authorities were able to narrow the cause of the illness and track the laxatives back to Shine. It must have been like a laxative trail back to his <laughs> shit. There's like a, a slug shit trail coming out oh of the porch. Trail's going this way. <laughs> Hurry, follow it. So they tracked it back, these uh, Scooby-Doos. Some shit-sniffing dogs. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> Burr. Burr. It's like, what the hell? Here's, here's, the, here's the funny ending. He was charged with multiple crimes, including outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs to children. The kicker is... When questioned, he never gave a reason reason for handing out the laxatives. Just Why a, is that the big fucking mystery here? I've got my reasons. Cheryl. <laughs> okay, here's another one. This is one of those cautionary tales that we talked about earlier. This true crime case is called The Egging Murders. A Halloween tradition leads to a bullet in the head. Chucking eggs at houses and cars is a classic if rather juvenile and annoying, Halloween prank. We've all probably done it. We've all probably egged some houses or TP'd some houses before. But after a long day at work and an evening of trick-or-treating with his girlfriend and her young son, 21-year-old Carl Jackson was in no mood for his car to get egged on Halloween night, 1998. Unfortunately for all concerned, it was. South Bronx is a tough neighborhood, so when Carl got out of his car... To remonstrate with the kid who went sunny side up on his vehicle, he took a risk. Sadly, the risk didn't pay off. 17-year-old Curtis Sterling shot Carl in the head, killing him instantly. This story did not go where I thought it was going. Sterling was arrested, charged, and imprisoned for murder. 
Every Halloween, Carl Jackson's mother sends her son's killer a card telling him she's glad he's rotting in prison. Well, thought maybe uh, thought maybe that was going to go the other way, but the guy getting egged also got shot. That's that's kind of that's terrible. And here's actually a little more from another article that deals with some egging murders. It says, according to an informal tally by the New York Times, at least 24 people between the years of 1984 and 2010 were seriously wounded or killed in stabbings, shootings, beatings, <laughs> beatings, eggs, or other accidents sparked by egg-throwing confrontations around Halloween. In this New York Times story from 2010, the Times reported that two days before Halloween in 1994, a man leaving a Brooklyn bar was hit with eggs tossed by several boys. The man stabbed and killed one of the boys, a 12-year-old. Uh, another story, in 1996, a 10-year-old Brooklyn boy was shot in the neck by a stray bullet after an egg fight on Halloween. And then in 2005, on October 29th, Joseph Padro, the brother of a police detective, was shot and killed in the Bronx after he chased a group of teenagers who pelted his minivan with eggs. So kids, if you're out there tonight and you're thinking about getting into some mischief, uh, you know, just maybe, maybe don't throw eggs at people. You know, I know it's a it's a traditional kind of classic Halloween prank, but I don't know. I think I'd steer clear. All right, here's uh, here's one, the last one. All right, the murder of Martha Moxley. There's been a murder. Whoa. The body of the 15 year old girl Martha Moxley was discovered on October 31st. That's Halloween, 1975. That's what all the stories are about, Trent. <laughs> Trent. A resident of the wealthy community of Greenwich, Connecticut, I guess. Martha had been bludgeoned to death with a golf club. Talk about a... It's Greenwich. Well, that's like the New York version, right? But it'd still be pronounced the same Okay, way. I didn't the know. same spelling. All right. I wasn't sure if Connecticut pronounced it that Greenwich. way. Greenwich. The Greenwich. <laughs> the I was giving them benefit of the doubt, but we'll go with Greenwich, Connecticut. But you talk about like a very wealthy, like... White collar murder. I'm gonna beat her with my golf club. <laughs> anyway, <she> was, <laughs> yeah. get she over was, here, Lillian, so I can hit you with this nine iron. Were they even by a golf course? I don't know. It says she was last seen hanging out with Thomas. I'm gonna, the train. I'm gonna make a make an attempt on this <laughs> last name. S K A K E L. Skackle. Skackle. Seth. Skatchewan. Skackle. I'm going with Skackle. It sounds spooky. She was hanging out with Thomas Skackle, her neighbor, and don't put your Skackle in my. Listen to this. Here's where it gets twisty. Thomas Skackle, her neighbor and nephew of Ethel Skackle Kennedy. She's a Kennedy. Related to Robert F. or Bobby? Married to Robert F. Kennedy, who was assassinated seven years earlier. Those damn Kennedys and Skackles, both. Why do they have to have so many controversies? Uh, where was it? It was Thomas's younger brother, Michael, who was tried and convicted of the murder in the year 2000. That's right. The case was unsolved for 25 years. The murder happened in, what I say, 1975, 25 years. But the wheels of justice not only turn slowly, sometimes they swerve off the road. Can you tell I wrote this? Anybody? Or am I just reading from an article? Okay. Michael served 10 years in prison, then was granted a new trial based on a judge's finding 
that his original defense attorney had not adequately represented him. He was freed on a $1.2 million bail in 2013, and after years of lawyering, his conviction was vacated and a new trial was ordered. On October 30th, that's almost Halloween, guys, of 2020, this is just a few years ago, 45 years to the day Martha was last seen alive, the state announced it would not retry him. And then it says, in a bizarre coincidence, a best-selling true crime book about Martha Moxley's murder, published in 1999, was written by Mark Furman, the infamous cop whose racism revealed through evidence presented at the O.J. Simpson murder trial. Why is Mark Furman writing all these damn books? I don't know. That's the second mention, though, tonight of it. Mark fucking Furman. So, anyway. Mark, the glove doesn't fit. Furman. That that story had some Kennedys. It had O.J. and Mark Furman. It had... A 25-year case. Had a lot of Moxley. It didn't have, not have much Moxley. She was murdered. but Beaten by a golf club. So that one had a little bit of everything. But anyway. How many how many people have died around the Kennedy family, you think? A lot. Like as, as many as the Clintons? Yeah, officially, yes. All right, we're, those are good stories. Where are we going from here, guys? Hopefully you're still with us. Hopefully you're still enjoying Halloween night. No, that, those were the true crime stories that we were going to tell. I figured we would end the night... We alluded to it earlier. Means it's playing Tetris, but we're gonna. <laughs> you thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. We're gonna talk about the classic film Trick or Treat, and Means might even talk about some of the other names. And movies, the reason he's been saying it like all weird all night is because I pointed out there are three trick or treats. Well, it is Trick R, and there's Trick R, Trigger, Trick or Treat. That sounds like a slur. Be careful. Trick or Treat. Say that. What'd you call it? Trick or Treat. <laughs> then there's a Trick or Treat. But we're going Why don't you to, explain the differences? We're going to, well, the difference is the uh, 1980s version is came out in 86. It was it was years ago when I was young, pup, 13 years old. Obviously, the trick trick R treat that Trent's talking about, 2007, is my favorite. Closely followed by trick or treat. Okay. Because when I grew, was growing up, what musical genre was popular? Mm. Rock and metal, right? So this movie had Ozzy Osbourne in it. It had Gene Simmons in it. And more importantly, Skippy from <laughs> Family Ties. Nothing screams metal <laughs> like a boy named Skippy. That was the that was kind of the uh the fun part about it. Everybody knew Family Ties and Skippy was the nerd in Family Ties. In this movie he plays a metalhead and he goes to a typical 80s style high school with all these preps and jocks. They pick on him constantly, beat the shit out of him, make fun of him. He at one point in time is naked in the gym while the girls are playing badminton and they take a picture of him naked because they pull a prank on him. A lot of movies in the 80s involved nerds getting picked on. I don't know if you realize that. For some reason, they all turned into Trumpsters. But (laughs) you'd think they would have learned their fucking lesson watching movies about nerds winning in the end. But they didn't. But anyway, uh, yeah, it was really cool because he liked all these bands, had all these metal posters. All he did was listen to metal music and write in his journal and write song lyrics and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like what I did in the 80s. And then uh, with all the people that picked on him, he wanted some revenge. Well, his main icon's name was Sammy Kerr. And Sammy Kerr was kind of like this like rock god that came from his high school. And he was going to play a Halloween show on Halloween there at their high school while releasing their new his new album. 
supposedly. He died in a fire before the show started. So the dude, which was Gene Simmons, he was a radio DJ, gave Skippy. His name, his name wasn't Skippy in the show. But anyway, he gave Skippy, his name is Ragman, by the way. He gave Ragman this acetate only copy in the world of that final album that Sammy Kerr released. He made copies of it. It was going to play it on Halloween night at midnight, but it was absolutely the only master copy. Gave it to Skippy for being the biggest fan. Don't know why, but that's part of the plot. But anyway, he goes home and starts playing it, and then he starts accidentally playing it back. It starts playing backwards. Has a backward message. You don't do that. And it tells him how to get revenge on these bullies. And that's the whole plot, and I'm not going to tell you the rest from there. Everyone knows you don't play records backwards. There's always some sort of demonic message or so something. So this is this is absolutely not as big as Army of Darkness, but it is absolutely a cult well, favorite. I was just thinking while you were community. saying, this sounds like a great movie we could show at a future horror theater. It, it is literally a huge movie in the underground world of horror, and it just now this year is getting a Blu-ray release. Nice. All kinds of extras. It's never been on Blu-ray because of the rights for all the songs and for the, some of the people that wouldn't sign off it, on it, including Gene Simmons. <laughs> Come on, Gene. So he wouldn't sign off on it to get a blue, a big, huge Blu-ray and 4K release, but it finally got bought and they worked out all those kinks and this next year it's going to have one. So maybe that's what we could do next year. I think that sounds like it would be awesome. There or we could do it on our podcast or something. For so, yeah. season... It's a good movie. Season three finale. Now, 80s effects, you know, the ghosts are kind of, or the scary scenes are kind of like Ghostbusters, kind of like the glowing weird shit, you know? So it's not as scary there, but it's a good movie. You guys ought to watch it. And it's hard to find because the DVD release they had, you can't find them because they don't produce anymore. They're worth about a hundred bucks now. I'm going to bet pretty good money it. that you're probably going to own a Blu-ray when it comes out. I definitely will because I own we... the old disc now, and I've just been waiting for a Blu-ray for like 20 years. But yeah, it's a good movie. Check it out. Thank you for that little recap of Trick or Treat. I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably are aware of it, but if not, go check it out. Uh, but let's talk If you're some... into horror, you, you probably need to watch it for sure. Let's talk some Trick or Treat because I feel like this movie, I guess I would call it a cult classic as well. I feel like it's pretty well known by now, but at the same time, did I turn you on to this movie? Maybe I remember I watching it I in Corey Hoagland's backyard. Shout out to Corey Hoagland. It was one of those movies that I had always kind of known about and wanted to watch, but I don't think I had ever watched it until that night at Corey Hoagland's, and I ended up really enjoying it. And now I watch it every Halloween. It's a great movie. I'm surprised it didn't get more of a release when it was actually made because it kind of had some studio trouble as far as I was going to say funny released. thing is it had studio trouble because it was supposed to get a major release but it went straight to video I was reading up on it earlier it was like there was a couple different things going on I think one was Saw came out around mm-hmm. the same time and they didn't want to compete with Saw I forget which Saw it was but one of the other reasons the studio wasn't real like favorable about releasing it was that I guess Superman Returns had just come out not long before that and kind of bombed pretty bad. And Michael Doherty, that's how you say mm-hmm. his name, right? Doherty. Who directed this movie, was a writer on Superman Returns, and then Brian Singer, which, F that guy, he like was a producer on this movie. 
And obviously he directed Superman. So I think there was a little bad will kind of because of that movie and maybe it got tabled. And anyway, long story short, it ended up getting kicked down the road and finally got released. I want to say what, two or three years after they made it and Mm -hmm. they finally put it out on Blu-ray and, and I think it probably went on to become kind of an underground cult classic. Yeah. Everybody loves it. Cause it's like just, it's just the quintessential kind of Halloween movie to me. Like it's scary but it's also like doesn't take itself seriously it's funny it's gory it's literally the updated creep show movies from the 80s yeah like an anthology that ties in and it's so darn clever everything it's about it's so clever movie. because you know you got your little iconic villain sam the little i don't even know what you'd call him he's like a pumpkin child or something mm-hmm. <laughs> stabbing people with his little broken sucker and his little he's like uh, the krampus of halloween yeah He's kind of like, like if the. You don't, uh, if you don't enjoy Halloween, he comes at you. He's kind of like the mascot it. for Halloween. Him and Michael Myers, I'd say. And then just how all the different anthology stories weave together, because like you'll notice if you're paying attention, to like the background stuff that happens in the background is stuff that happens later on in the movie or yeah. earlier based on the events. And I don't know. I, I watched it again today just to kind of refresh for this episode. But again, it's it's one of my must watch movies every Halloween. I would agree. I think I think Michael Doherty also got the last laugh because he's become a really good director. I think Hollywood kind of sees that now. Krampus, he yeah, directed that, and didn't he direct one of the Godzilla movies? Yeah, and I I think also his part two has been in development hell for the last for Trick or Treat. Yeah, yeah, they need to freaking make that already. Twenty years almost. It's well, almost the movie's 20 almost twenty. I mean, the movie's what 15, 16 years old. So 16 years old now because it started out as a short yep. from the nineties. I saw that today. I researched it. So yeah, we're probably going on 30 years now. The idea itself. So, I mean, I, I think, I mean, they've made anime comics. They've made short films about it, but I think they need to make a second part. I just love uh Dylan Baker though. When he's like out in the backyard trying to bury that, <laughs> Potting his kid keeps popping up. Just gotta be quiet, Billy. Well, can you help me with this pumpkin? Or no, what do he say? He's like, he's like wanted to make some. He's some, trying to carve something. He wanted, he wanted help carving a pumpkin, and then he like popped back out later. He's like, well, can you help me make some kind of food? And he's just like, after we carve the jack o' lanterns. <laughs> Dylan Baker was awesome in this movie, and Brian Cox were both awesome. Most encompassing of Halloween traditions and and like kind of fake stories, probably of any Halloween movie. I would I would put that even though I like Halloween, the movie probably better just because it's more iconic. This is a better movie than Halloween because it has more Halloween stuff in it. it has more I would agree? Film. Yeah, the aesthetic and the vibe is way more Halloween. Way more. I mean, Halloween was like filmed in the summer and they didn't even have they had like what one pumpkin in the whole movie? Yeah. <laughs> they had like spray paint leaves to make it look fun. Yeah. This one there's like friggin' jack-o'-lanterns everywhere in every scene. There's like lights and spooky candles and there's everything all the just stories the whole... like the the candy being tainted and the <laughs> Laxatives, it brings the laxatives in. The razor blade and the candy. Razor blades and the zombies, uh werewolves, I mean serial killers, vampires. Like everything. Add everything. Yeah, I agree. That's why I think it's monsters, actual monsters. It's definitely up there. Like I said, I would put it right behind Halloween. Cruel as far tricks. As cruel tricks that tricks, treats. Made people like 
jerks. Like those kids were jerks. That was the scariest scene too. The, like the uh, uh, rock quarry. quarry. The quarry scene. That was my favorite scene. Yep. It's a good movie. Check it out. Yep. I agree. Billy Bob Do we want to rate Check it? it? I don't know if anyone else. Like I said, I watched it today. It's fresh in my mind, but I'm sure you guys probably Bro, could rate it. I've liked that movie forever. I think I watched that back in like 2009 or 10 for the first time when I first bought it on DVD. I think I bought a Blu-ray right after that when it came out. I would say this is a 9 out of 10 for me. Ooh, that's one of our higher ratings yet. I was going to go at minimum 8.5, maybe 9 as well. I mean, if we're talking about Halloween movies, it's my second favorite Halloween movie of all time. So I can't give it lower than a 9. All right. Well, we rated it. We talked about it. We did a little true crime. Uh, Check out Trick or Treat 1986. It's probably on Tubi or something. (laughs) Probably, yeah. So this is a this is it. We're done with season two. We're gonna go into season three with our next episode. I don't know if we have any big plans or anything moving forward, but um, anything about season two you guys want to say as some final words? May old acquaintance be forgotten. Did you guys like season two? Let us know. We still need some comments. Weigh in. We did. We ventured into true crime. We did a lot of true crime in season two. We took the show on the road. A few times. Those are always fun episodes. We had, a, we had an alien guy <laughs> interviewed. Oh, yeah. That was like right at the beginning of season two. I'm yeah. kind of looking back through our episodes here to see which ones kind of uh, kind of stay with me. Did some classic movies as well. Had our Christmas party for season two. Have to do that again this year. Did a lot of holidays. We had a Valentine's episode, a Leprechaun episode. But we're going to bring Cryptid Month back. That's coming back soon, so stay tuned. Maybe even next month if I could talk these guys into it. I mean, we still in our original movie list still have over probably 175 movies that we can tell stories about. We've not even tapped half of that. So, but anyway, we'll we'll wrap this episode up for now. We'll let you guys go and enjoy your Halloween night. Thanks for listening to us and sticking with us through season two and hopefully season three is fun and you enjoy it as well. So yeah, this has been the Horror You Know podcast. I'm Trent. I'm Darren. I was yawning when you started that. I was trying to get the yawn done before it came to me, but it didn't work. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.